Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Knowledge Football Dynasty Podcast. I'm Sonny and I'm your host. What's up? Welcome back. Hope you're having a good week. I certainly am. So yeah, it's going to be a little bit of a shorter podcast today. Um, the wife's birthday weekend, so you have nothing upset there. Um, so yeah, what I'm thinking, I, I've got some ideas. I've been noticing a lot of different dynasty kind of narratives, some themes, uh, some from multiple years in the making, um, and, and a few others that are just kind of I've been coming across um, lately. So I thought I would take a shot at kind of trying to poke some holes in some dynasty narratives that I don't necessarily agree with. Before we get right into it, I would like to take a second to uh, give a thank you to Yo-Yo Ravo 66 on iTunes for the very nice uh, rating and review. Uh, thank you very much, kind sir or gal. Uh, yeah, it's been nice to get a couple of reviews here and there. I kind of stopped asking for them because I don't think it really matters whether you ask or not. People just either take that 20 seconds or they don't. So uh, props to you, Yo-Yo, for taking the initiative and doing that. Thank you very much. It does mean something to me. And so moving on. Okay, so today's podcast was kind of inspired. I'm going to go ahead and just get into the first topic of these narratives. And uh, it was this whole podcast segment was basically inspired by this first topic. I've heard this topic talked about for years now. I just at least the last two or three years on multiple podcasts, I've heard it, uh, the sentiment of this uh, multiple times just in written. It's just kind of almost become like common sense or, you know, how well common sense serves us. But yeah, it's almost become like fantasy football or dynasty football common sense. And I just don't really understand. I've never understood it. And, you know, I've just heard different times. I caught myself, you know, a couple of months back listening to a podcast and thinking, I need to make a note of this and, and put this in a podcast and talk about this because it just really frustrates me um, that, that people even carry this. It should be so obvious. So that is that um, when you buy a player, when you, I've heard this narrative that, hey, you know, I got, a, I got this guy for a second round pick. And so I'm going to flip him for a first round pick this year. And then therefore it was, it was value. I won because I, I paid a second round pick and I get a first round pick. And I, I've heard this in so many different ways where people are constantly trying to equate what they paid for it to suddenly mean, okay, well, then I can flip it. And, and so as long as I get something on the other end, um, somehow then I'm getting a return and I'm helping my dynasty team. I just see it differently. I think you should never allow the value of any player or asset you have um, to be dictated at all by what you paid for. It just is not at all relevant to what its actual value is. I mean, if you go to a garage sale and you buy something for 10 bucks, and then the old Antiques Roadshow comes to town and you take it on over there and they tell you it's worth 10,000 bucks. You know, if you go and sell it for 200 bucks just because it's easy and you're like, well, I made, you know, 190 bucks, that's that's really pretty stupid. I don't think anyone would, would think that's a good move. And even if you sell it for 1,000 bucks, which is, you know, still a discount but a great profit on what you uh, paid for, it doesn't make it a good move because you need to take the idea that you paid $10 for it out of your mind at that point. It's not worth $10. What you paid for it is irrelevant. So why does an antique that you know is worth $1,000 or $10,000 any different than a dynasty asset? What's interesting is I think a lot of people are aware of the opposite of this effect, which is the sunk cost fallacy where you, know, you pay a lot for something and then you stubbornly don't want to let go of it because you can't face the facts of what it's really become, um, whether it was just that you shot too high or the player got hurt or whatever. The, the value is suddenly not what you once had or what you once paid for, um, and people just don't want to let go of that. They want to keep tr trying to get 
make that return back on it, and so they just hold on to it way way too long. That is more common. I think people are aware of that effect. They they don't seem to be quite as uh, taken by that, and it's talked about amongst dynasty players. But it seems like the opposite effect, which is the inability to pull yourself away from how much you paid for it, um, for some reason is overlooked. And I just think that's a real opportunity lost. I just couldn't imagine, you know, if you got a player that in the second round or the third round that you think is is a pillar on your team. Um, why you would just say, well, you know what, I can trade it for a first round pick, and, and therefore I gained. You know, I, I got an ad, I got an addition. It's like I don't really buy that. If you buy something for a buck and it, you know, like a lot, like a scratch off lotto ticket or something, and it's worth say seven bucks, you win seven bucks on it. Well, the whole idea behind keeping that seven dollars is that you're going to have to make up for the four other lotto tickets that you also paid for a buck and got nothing on. You know, and therefore you have you made you gained a little bit. You just gained two bucks in the end. And you had to buy five lotto tickets. That's that's how I feel with a lot of times with drafting. So if you're lucky enough to have one hit and become close to a pillar or a pillar, uh, there's no reason to try to suddenly flip it for what would be considered a quote gain um, just by looking at those numbers. But really. It's, you got to look at your team. You got to look at the asset. You got to look at the, the surrounding picture and see if it is actually a gain. Um, or so anyway, I just think that's an interesting thing. And when you hear that, or if you kind of ever catch yourself falling prey to that idea, just get that out of your mind. Remember, it has nothing to do with the value. How much you paid for it, how little you paid for it, has nothing to do with the actual value of the player. Nothing. No. Nothing. Just get it out of your mind. Just start fresh. Go look at the player. See what you think it is. Try to take as many buys as you can out of it, and you'll be much better served for them. Okay, so the second topic I wanted to talk about is one that's, I don't have quite as much energy on this one, but I do notice it a little bit, and I just thought that I would mention it, especially since it's draft time. Um, and that is the idea that somehow people should stay, you know, real tight to their rankings, to their original rankings. They, should, they shouldn't sway too far away from them after the draft. Um, and I think it's a funny concept, and and I feel like I did a lot of work this this off season, and I also, um, un, unlike some people, I listen to a lot of things. I listen to different kind of scouts, but I also listen to people who have their ear um, on the draft stuff. So when I'm looking at um, my projections pre-draft, I'm also taking into account the rumors about where guys are going to be drafted. Um, so I don't think I was really that far off on my assessments. And partially, like I said, I cheated in a way. I'm looking at everything, and that's that's fine with me. That's what my goal is, is to get as much information. But what I think is funny is that there's some people out there that kind of like really think there's some kind of purist nature uh, to standing by your convictions and, and going with what your gut says or seeing what your eye says. And believe me, I love using my eye as well uh, to make my choices, but that's usually after taking everything else into account. And then my eye just gets to make that final call because it's my team and I want to be a part of it. But it's not because I think my eye is somehow better than all the other information out there, especially NFL teams. And I think that's where it really comes down to. When you get into the NFL draft and you get into the millions of dollars that NFL teams spend, um, and they have guys that are paid entire salaries, teams of guys that are paid entire salaries, to go figure this stuff out. And there's so much information out there that we don't have access to that I can't just pop up on my little laptop or my you know iPad and go Google search for. No matter how hard I work, you know how many videos I find, there's things that I don't have the resources to find. So why would I pass up the opportunity when they give me that information and they come to me and they say, here you go, this is what we think of it. We've broke it down and how we value them by spending our capital on these things. You're damn right I'm going to value it. Everyone should value it, including the guys that are at the top of the industry. Everybody shouldn't be uh, so stuck on their way. So that's just one that I think is funny. Um, I'm, I'm definitely willing. Now, if I see something where it's way off of my projections, 
I'm not going to sit there and go, okay, you know, these guys are just crazy. I'm going to have to go look at my process. And this is the way I see it. It's like, okay, somewhere along my process, I missed something, whether it was I didn't listen to the right people. Um, I saw different things on tape that I got a little too infatuated with, or maybe the opposite. Um, I didn't, I didn't see something in a guy and it turns out that other teams and things did. And so those are the kind of things that I'm always looking for, but you can't get that information until the millions and millions of dollars that are spent by the NFL um, kind of help bring it out. So as a fantasy dynasty owner, as a dynasty podcaster, I just think it's one of those things where we really should be open to staying uh, as fluid as possible. Fluidity in dynasty football is really what makes champions. I truly believe that. There's so many opportunities that you jump on, like Damian Williams at the end of last season. Uh, just numerous ones that win championships year after year uh, that have nothing to do with the ability to um, scout players or identify talent. Um, you know, Sometimes it's trading ability. I think that does sometimes just the ability to make moves, uh, interacting with people and, and getting things done uh, to benefit your needs. I think it's absolutely essential. But that, that really has nothing to do with your rankings. And so I've talked about this before. I've become more player-centric on this podcast. When I originally started, I, tr- I didn't want to do as much player talk. Um, but I've kind of found that, for one, I've put more time and energy into the players. And also, it's what people want to hear. It's people want, want people want to talk about. There's only so much of the strategy and trade negotiation stuff uh, that can be done. So what I'm finding is that you still have edges in the player values, in the, in the kind of uh, ways that people look at players just because there's so much social uh, proof and so much uh, you know herd mentality that, that things are just outliers and so this is where you know having those having those things that you did all that research on and guys that maybe stood out to you uh, but fell back is good it's good to have in your back pocket because it's always uh, gives you that slight advantage when, when things do pop up but to be naive and to be blind to what everything and all the info that's right in front of you is telling you it's just not a good move. I think you need to make shifts and adjustments absolutely based on the NFL draft, more so than other things. Like the combine doesn't mean as much to me. It does mean certain things, and I look for certain things from it. Uh, but it's just one day of guys working out. It's not the same uh, as teams putting their, their capital into a player um, on the most important day of their building of their franchise. So I think that, that sums it up for me there. Okay, and then another one of these concepts that maybe there's not a lot of – I don't have a lot of energy on this, and there's not – a huge uh, swell of people uh, with this mindset. But I have heard this, especially on fantasy Twitter and just kind of different podcasts. The idea that somehow if you are, if you finish the season at eight, nine, ten, you know, if you're right there in that upper middle pack, uh, that you're doing dynasty wrong or that you're not playing dynasty football the right way. And I just totally disagree with that. I think that in dynasty football, it's not, for one, there's a lot of different ways that, um, you know, teams quote tank. Uh, but in, in my leagues that I play in, we don't allow tanking. You have to play your way to the championship or play your way to the first-round pick or the top pick overall once you get in that bracket. If you're in the loser's bracket, you got to play your way to the top. So you want good players regardless of whether you end up in the winner's or the loser's bracket. But So there are ways around allowing people to just tank. But if you do are in leagues where there are tanking, it's still, to me, if you finish at 7 or 8, almost every season there's a a good rookie that ends up there just as well as one or two. I mean, yeah, you're never going to get the Saquon, but only one guy gets the Saquon, and you have to be really committed to that tank uh, to get that one, and I'm never committing to the tank. I'm just not doing it. So someone else will get that one, and I end up with two or three. Well, crap, I'd rather just have seven or eight. On top of that, 
the way dynasty football works and the ebbs and flows, and we we're just talking about how you know guys come out of the woodwork all the time. It just seems silly to me to think that if you're at seven, or eight, or nine, you can't somehow just suddenly ramp up and become a, a championship caliber team. You might already be a championship caliber team. We see what happens every year and how guys um, shift and make make teams you know become league winners. So to me, it's not like basketball or something where it's you know very predictable and consistent, and and you know the five best guys or it's just something about football that, that things shift quickly. And so the idea that a team from the bottom can be the top team, I see it every year. I see teams that look like they're going to be one of the worst teams, and then next thing you know, they're at the top of the standings, and a team that looked like it was you know, made to win championships for three straight years is suddenly in the, in the loser's bracket. It happens. I have loser bracket teams that were supposed to be the best. It just happens. So it, you know, I, I feel like when I, when I hear that, that narrative, I just think, oh, what are you talking about? It's promoting tanking when in a lot of cases there's no, no need to tank. You don't need, you know, you don't need to be a bottom five team or be a top two team. Being right there in that middle means that you're one of those teams that had a chance of winning. How it all panned out, where you got stuck in the playoffs, blah, 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 it, you know, I don't know. Look at your team and see if your team is good. That's the key. Don't worry about what position you played in if you were 8th, ninth, 10th. It doesn't matter there. It's not the same as like um, – I agree with that no, that narrative in like a professional basketball. Like if you're stuck in the middle in professional basketball, it's not a good place. You need to be at the top or you need to be at the bottom. But in dynasty football, that is so far from the truth. And I just don't know why people push that at all. So that's the another one I wanted to talk about. And, and I think this one's funny because this is a very common one. Uh, this is one that I see, I've heard on podcasts numerous times when somebody, the podcast host or somebody will say like, give me, give me just a general dynasty, uh, you know, strategy that you love to take uh, that you think is an excellent strategy. And almost always, you know, not almost always, but a lot of times the guy will say, and these are dynasty experts, these are fantasy football experts, will say, oh, I love taking old guys. I love taking the value on old guys because it just falls right down the draft and you can get so many, you know, values on the vets. And I guess it's all in context. You know, maybe they mean vets like DeAndre Hopkins and, you know, Devontae Adams who are 26 and 27 years old. Okay, I'm totally on board with that. Especially when we're talking early, you want to land all of the youngest, quote, top flight athletes. But the idea to be, you know, plugging away on the Antonio Browns and A.J. Greens of the world all through those second and third rounds is not a good play. I'm sorry, my friend. It's not a good dynasty play. In the long run, you are building your, you're shortening your window right from the gate and you're giving yourself no buffer to lose. If you lose, now you have to sell and you're selling old depleted assets. Building young is the way to go, and when everyone else is stealing the young quality assets and you're going old, you're not getting an advantage. You're getting, you're losing out on those opportunities for the young studs while they're going. The market is hot for those players for a reason. Then you find your way to get a few of the value. Some of the producing vets will fall through. That's when you nab them. If you try to nab and just keep nabbing old guys and be feeling so good about the value you're getting... I promise you in a year, you're going to be looking at your roster thinking, oh man, you know, I I would rather have just taken two young guys and hope that one of the two turned into a young stud because that one stud is now still worth more uh, than the two old guys that I took, uh, you know, the, the Edelmans or whatever. Like I said, I like those players. I especially like those players for redraft. But if you're talking dynasty, uh, I've played a lot of dynasty. I don't know how much some of these guys actually play dynasty, to be honest with you. Um, but when when they do, that's the approach they have. And I think it's because they actually come from a redraft mindset. And I love playing with players who have that redraft mindset because 
they will be soaking up a lot of the players that I wouldn't have been taking anyway, allowing me to kind of start my young foundation right there in the first year. And the great thing about starting that foundation in the first year young is that if you lose, you still have all your draft picks because you do not trade your future draft picks away if you're building young. And you have a young team that's obviously got a lot of room for potential, a lot of room for growth. So now you have high capital and an upright you know, team that has room for potential, room for growth. If you win, then it's all gravy. If you, on the other end, you lose and you've got you know, all these guys, Antonio Brown, you're stuck trying to sell guys that are losing all their assets and you might not even be able to sell them. Because you're, you're going to be stubborn and whatever. You're going to be stuck with that sunk cost fallacy or whatever. So this is where you're getting. You're not going to see any upside. There's, We've already seen what A.J. Green or some of these older players are going to give you. There's not this ability to actually get a bump, and yet we know the cliff is coming. And so those two things, and then you include the fact that, like I said, you've got a team full of that, and you think you got value, but you, you didn't. Because even, let's say you win. Great. Well, there's a lot of ways that you can win and still not win the championship. There's a lot of ways that you can be that number 8, 9, 10 guy uh, with that team of old guys. And now the next year, you're picking right where you didn't want to pick, um, and you've got a team that's, that's one year closer to the cliff. So there's so many reasons that I disagree with this notion. Uh, I don't you know, I don't mind it being out there. In fact, I like it being out there because it allows me, like I said, to soak up a lot of the young value. And it doesn't mean that I'm like rookie crazy. I think you just always have to look at your roster and look at the the way the draft is going and just find ways to get that youth. Um, But youth that is almost producing, like perfect example is AJ Green. Last year, I told you I wanted to sell AJ Green. I sold a share of AJ Green and I sold it for the 1-7 Marvin Jones and John Brown. And so the 1-7 turned out to be DJ Moore. And so, yes, I'm very happy with DJ Moore, Marvin Jones, and John Brown coming into this season when A.J. Green wouldn't have helped me last year anyway. My team struggled throughout the year. I had uh, David Johnson. I had Le'Veon Bell. I had a lot of pieces that just didn't work out. So A.J. Green would have been another piece of that. So I feel very happy that I was able to move some capital of an older guy and able to kind of shift back to younger. And now things are looking up this year. I don't know. I heard this Le'Veon Le'Veon thing going with New York is crazy. But either way, I'm not buying more Le'Veon, and I can hand, I'll hold on to my one share. It's fine. I, I still see some upside with him. Uh, but anyway, I think you get my point, which is that, yes, you know, snagging a few vets along the way, yeah, making sure that you get some producers uh, along the way is essential. But to think that other people are stupid because they're going after youth, um, I think is actually very naive in its own right, because what you're not realizing is there's a reason they're going after the youth. There's a reason that it's going now. Uh, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily worth that pick, especially when you compare it to redraft or something, but it's worth that pick in the context of that draft because if you don't take them now, you don't get them. So you take them now, and then you worry about getting the other vets and finding other pieces. you gotta, you got to see how the draft is going. And, and to, to be foolhardy and think, ah, everyone else is foolish by taking the youth, fine. You might win this year. You might win next year. But from my experience, building – and I'm not saying go completely young. I'm saying you know people who are smart and building a team know exactly what I'm saying. You build – with the ability to have just shy of that of the of the players, it's like you're shaving a little off the, the current production um, for the ability to get that boost and for some longevity. Uh, when you're doing a startup, don't put yourself in a position where you're getting you know putting yourself, forcing yourself to start making uh, those kind of moves right away. The nice thing about an established dynasty league, somewhere that has been four or five leagues, is it's had that time for the separation. 
you're going to have the guys who are at the top of the league and buying. You're going to have the guys at the bottom of the league selling. When you have a startup, you, that initial year, so everyone thinks they're a contender, or at least takes most of that year to hash out. So that buying, that selling window is really going to not start till the following season. And then, you know, like I said, you got another year right there on the mileage. You know, so I don't know. I'm, I'm going to let it go on this one, but that's one that I've just heard so much. And uh, while I'm not totally against drafting vets, and, and I totally see uh, some value to it, I think you really got to be careful with it. Because those are the kind of teams that just they hit a cliff way too quick, and the odds of winning. You know, people want to talk about vets and football and how great they are, but it's a young man's game. Look at the look at the numbers. Look at the the years of a guy's you know career. Running backs are like an average of three. Wide receivers average of six or something. I mean, it's literally it's not as big a window as you think. It's not that ten year window. So the the guy who's been producing yes he has the ability you know like he's shown he can do it and and you have to identify those guys and not just think like okay DeAndre Hopkins he's getting close to his window that's ludicrous but at the same time okay Adam Thielen is he getting close to his window I think so I think Adam Thielen is one that I'm not going to be able to pay for at that cost just not going to be able to do it so it's all about looking at it as how do I see this window closing, and do I want to invest in it? If I'm in a team that's winning right now, that's built to win, and I need a wide receiver, Adam Thielen is a good selection. But if I'm in a startup, and I'm trying to build my pillars, and I'm trying to get those first four or five solid foundational picks for my team, Adam Thielen is almost off that list, unless he falls to number like to the fifth pick or something. But even then, you know, like I said, I just don't know. I, will, I find ways to talk myself out of it because I don't want to find myself in that position. So just my take. I'm sure that, you know, there's a lot of people who think I'm crazy for, for feeling that way. But like I said, build your team the way you want to. But I, that is absolutely, uh, I have a very strong feeling about this one in terms of process and how to build your team. Okay, and then for the final topic, the good old metrics versus player film debate. I think this one, this is interesting. It's gotten more and more heated um, from what I've seen over the last year or so. And I think it's funny because I never, I've never felt like film people have ever had an issue really with metrics people As in terms of they, don't, they like metrics. They just like their film. And where metrics people seem to just want to kind of bash film people and make it to be like just they're like charlatans or something like it's just somehow um, it's just they're just watching and then they come up with all these things. Now, I will say... Um, I don't put a lot of faith in people in terms of film watchers who refuse to pay attention to the metrics. If you're not going to look at speed and all these other things and you're just going to go based on what your magical eye tells you, uh, not, it's not going to go very well. I, just, I don't really care what you have to say based on um, you know, unless you are really one of the best and you've proven that you've taught people and have, you know, can show all different types of things, then maybe – uh, maybe you'll catch my ear, but if you're if you're refusing to um, take a look at those different things, those numbers, those metrics that are that are coming out, uh, and for analysis, I think that that you're not you're not being responsible. But that said, I really disagree with the narrative that somehow film grinders don't know what they're doing, and that somehow film watching is useless. That all you need is the metrics. All it is is about metrics. If you have metrics, um, you don't need anything else. And there's a few things I want to say to that. First of all, you don't have most of those metrics without film grinders. I mean, a lot of the things that the metrics people use are things like yards after contact, average separation for wide receivers. How do you think they get those numbers? 
They get those numbers by a human being deciding, okay, what do we consider contact? Okay, was that contact? Did he take contact? Did he not take contact? Every play that that guy had, yards after contact, had to be tracked by some human being. Somebody was humans. Human error is not taken out of this. Um, average separation, average air yards, you name a lot of different things, a human being had to be in there somehow kind of tracking these. And then when you look at some of the algorithms or somehow the, the spark scores and different things that are all put together, whether it's you know metrics that are put up together by fantasy football people or metrics put together by league people, it all has to be, they have to decide how to weight all those metrics. What weighs more than others? What what things cause? And so I'm, I'm totally aboard having those metrics. You do see trends. You do th- see things that pop up uh, that allow you to kind of go, okay, this guy doesn't really fit the mold. Uh, maybe we have to kind of take a look at him and kind of, you know, not put so much weight on to his production. Or maybe his production and everything is, is super good and his athletic profile is really good. Um, why isn't he being uh, noticed on the scene? Well, you know, maybe maybe he's being overlooked. There's so many ways that we can use those metrics. But to for the idea that film watching is useless. I mean, basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you gave me the opportunity um, to just have a guy's stats and metrics or you gave me the opportunity to have to be able to watch his film for a full year, his full games, even though I don't have the time to do it, I would watch the film. So given me, this guy who has a life, I would take the, the metrics, and that's why a lot of people do it. And that's a, it's, this, it's the move when we talk about uh, how we have to cut down things in our lives. Our brains can only take in so much input, and so we, we start to consolidate. But us as dynasty players, if we really want to get to um, the best and we want to you know, continue to get better, we have to take in all things. We can't disregard something that can be very valuable to our process, um, especially like film watching, because it allows context. Because if, if, you, if a guy has nine catches for 145 yards, you know that statistically, and you might even be able to get some stats on yard separation, blah, blah, blah. If you watch the game, you might have context on it. You might know, um, especially if you have someone who knows how to watch the game and knows what they're looking at um, to tell you what they're seeing. This is valuable. I don't understand why someone wouldn't want this because you see the nine catches and you see the 145 yards and you see the context in which it happened. Seems pretty valuable to me. Now, the other thing that I think is silly is that you know, people want to turn football into like this stats-driven thing. There, there's a reason that football has never been a stats-driven game. It's because it doesn't it doesn't happen the same way that say baseball happens. If you look at a college football game, a college football game averages like 64 offensive plays a game. So of those 64 offensive plays, let's say a player is a wide receiver. How many plays do we actually get to see him perform? How many plays do we get to watch him kind of run around and either do something that we can judge, catch a ball, make statistics, um, whatever it is that the teams are going to need to judge him by, especially when it comes to the metrics, when the metrics means he has to actually get the ball thrown his way. Something actually has to happen um, and chosen to be happen one way or another, whether it's the, the coaching. I mean, there's just so many variables there, right? So you cut that number from 64 down to how many? Well, let's just give it, let's be optimistic and say 10. And then you got 10 to 13 games a season. So maybe you got 130 opportunities a season. You have three seasons. What's that? Three hundred and sixty opportunities at best. That's a, that's if you had a miracle of ten opportunities to show what you can do. Um, it just seems silly to me when you look at a baseball player, a guy who this is where the, the numbers really make sense, where statistics come into play, where you can really 
get value from looking, you know, really processing those numbers is, okay, a batter in a, in a regular season is up, he, he goes to bat 550 times a season. And that's just him. He gets that opportunity. It's like getting the ball thrown to him 550 times. He gets that every, it's like, it doesn't, there's so much opportunity to show what he can do. It happens over and over and over and over again. Football players, you just never know. I mean, it's like, imagine if that baseball player had to take one at bat and that counted for like 50 at bats. And so if he strikes out or he screws up or he falls down or whatever happens on the football field, that counts for a huge amount of the uh, statistical computation level. So there's so many levels and layers and opportunities that can be missed. Guys like Antonio Brown aren't on metrics. They're, they were just disappeared. So the, you know, the quintessential wide receiver of our time, of our decade, but basically the prototypical wide receiver isn't even on the metrics. He didn't even, he didn't even find his way onto any of the metrics people's boards because it it doesn't work that way it's football we watch football so all of those things together and then you you piece in the fact that i don't want to play the numbers you may want to play the numbers but i want to watch football so to me when i'm making my choices when i decide you know when it's whether it's a rookie draft or whatever i base it on a lot of times what i see on the football field i like to take players i like to watch i like to take players that i think are good fantasy assets will produce for me and I enjoy watching him play football. Well, numbers don't do anything for me in that regard. You know, how many times have you, you know, went to buy a car and you're just like calculating all the stuff and looking at the numbers, but you never actually look at the car. You know, you don't actually want to drive it and get in it and go around and, see, you know, no, I just want, I just want to look at the metrics here and I'm, that's good enough for me. So, you know, like I said, I understand that there's a lot of metrics people who don't feel that way about the film, who like the film and are totally into it. And I, I think that that's the, the way to go. You know, whether you want to favor a little bit to the metric side or favor a little bit to the film side, do what you want to do, but don't forget either side. Don't make a mockery of the other side. Those people are all adding valuable assets and you rely on each other. This is all community. I don't, I don't understand why parts of the community are always fighting each other over things that Everyone's giving information. Everyone's giving something out there. If you don't agree with it, just don't say anything. That's fine. That's other people can get that information and be misled. You should want misinformation out there. You don't want everybody on your page anyway. So I feel like it's just a nice, you know, a nice community and a nice opportunity for all of us to take a look around and enjoy all of it. Uh, take in whatever you can get and be happy when other people aren't willing um, to take you know, other things in mind because they're losing out. They're losing out on an opportunity, whether it's they don't pay attention to metrics, they just want to watch film, uh, whether they just think that film grinders are just crazy and, you know, all of that stuff. Like I said, I want to, I want to pick my own players anyway. So I, there's no way you can convince me not to watch film on players because I want to see them play football because that's what we watch them do is play dynasty football. I'm not going out to buy a car based on the numbers. I'm not going out and pick my players based just on the numbers. I will take them into account, but it's all said and done, it's all about, for me, watching that player and also taking in what scouts have to say, taking in what the metrics have to say, taking in all that stuff, and then taking in what the NFL teams have to say in the NFL draft, um, most importantly, probably. So that is pretty much you know, how I can sum it up for you. Anyway, it's not, you know, like I said, I, I, I don't feel super strongly about any of this stuff, but I do feel strong enough that I felt like I could put it in a podcast and I could kind of voice, um, you know, some dissension, maybe try to poke a few holes in some ideas that I feel like um, are just generalized and kind of sometimes thought of as common sense, um, dynasty common sense, and I don't agree with them. So anyway, I thought I would share that with you since I didn't have a lot of time for a long podcast. I thought I would try to just throw out some ideas. 
And that'll pretty much wrap it up for the podcast. So, yeah, thank you for listening. If you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at BigKnowledgeFO1. That's BigKnowledgeFootball. Or you can email the show at BigKnowledgeFootball at gmail.com. Thanks again to YoYoRavo66 on iTunes. Appreciate the support. And that's it. Thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you soon.